The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce our morning devotion speaker. Uh, one of the pl- privileges we have is introducing some of our local area pastors to come and minister to our community. And it's even better when he's one of our alums. And so Pastor Craig Marshall is a pastor at Grace Bible Church here in Escondido, California. Uh, he graduated from here in 2011. Uh, he and his wife Darcy, Darcy's here today, and their three daughters have lived here in Escondido since 2008. So Glad that you're here. Please bring us God's word. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. And I'll be sharing from Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, so I invite you to turn there. Uh, We'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 of the book of Ephesians. Listen while I read. This is God's word. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Please pray with me as we ask God's help this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word, and especially as it tells us of what you have done for us in Christ. We pray that you would help us now by your spirit, that he would illumine our hearts to better understand your truth and believe your word, that Christ may be exalted in our lives. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, we all know that prayer is something that we're called to do as Christians. And as you come to the end of the book of Ephesians, there's a fourfold call to all prayer. Uh, as the Apostle Paul encourages us to be praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance and for all the saints. And I'm not sure about you, but as I hear those words, I Think of what John Stott said, that for many Christians, our lives are characterized instead by the word some, that we pray some prayers and for some of the saints and at some times. But the Apostle Paul, as we know, calls us to this life of all prayer. And so as we think about that in our lives and and seek to make it a priority, have you ever had the experience of prioritizing prayer, but then finding yourself not knowing what to pray? 
not knowing what you should be praying for, for these needs that are before you, especially as you think of the the cares of your family and of, of your church. And maybe you have your immediate list of needs, but once you've prayed for those things, what's next? And even as you're praying about those needs, you realize, shouldn't we be praying for more than just fixes to the problems or changes in circumstances? Well, I'm so thankful Uh, as that's been my experience, that the Apostle Paul gives us insight into what he prays for the churches. And he prays that they would know three things. He prays that they would know the hope of God's call, the glories of God's inheritance, and the greatness of God's power. And I want to consider those things in turn this morning. And as we do, I think we'll be encouraged that in the times when we don't know what to pray, we can pray that God will help us to know what he is doing in our lives through the work of Christ. So first of all, let's consider the hope of God's call. We find this in verse 18. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The first thing that Paul wants us to know looks backward to the beginning of our Christian life. The hope to which he has called you. Those simple words, he has called you, has implications that really are so profound. Think of how much of our lives is lived in the anticipation of a call and wanting to be called. You think back to elementary school, think of childhood, wanting to be called onto the kickball team early and not the last one chosen. Wanting to be called into the group of the cool kids. As life continues, you want to be called as someone's spouse often called for a promotion, or even called to a pastorate. We build our lives around attaining to a particular calling. But Paul wants us to know that we have already received the greatest call. God the Father himself has called us to himself. And in the most important way imaginable, you are no longer waiting for a call, but you have received a call. And he goes on to show us that this call brings with it hope. He says, the hope to which he has called you. And as we know, biblical hope is not a wish. It's a confidence that we have in God bringing to fulfillment all that he has promised to us. And so what Paul is saying here is that God's call produces certainty in our lives as believers. Do you realize that even the best calls in this life rarely produce certainty. Uh, This Thanksgiving, our family was watching the football game, as is one of our traditions. And before the game, they were talking about how this quarterback was actually going to have his start on Thanksgiving Day in the NFL. It was his first game playing in the NFL. And so think about how exciting that must have been to receive the call. Here's your chance. Thanksgiving Day, you're up as quarterback. And you think of how exciting that was. But then as the game went on, you start to realize what that call brings with it. Namely, a whole other wave of increasing uncertainty. As throughout the game, his performance is being evaluated and scrutinized. It's completely up to him to maintain this call that has been given to him and to have hope of a career in the NFL. But do you realize that the calling that we have received from God is a certain call. 
It wasn't based on our performance, and the blessings that it promises are not based on our performance. Paul speaks elsewhere of the fact that those whom he has predestined, God has also called. Those whom he called, he has justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul prays that we will know the hope of God's call, that we will wake up in the morning certain of the fact that the God of the universe has called us to himself already, and that in the face of the uncertainties of the day, we would be convinced of the certainty of the glory and glorification that is now ours because of the work of Christ Jesus. And so this leads us then naturally to the second request, not only that we would know the hope of God's call, but also that we would know the glories of God's inheritance, the glories of God's inheritance. He says this in verse 18 as he continues, that you would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So Paul moves from the certainty of what has happened to the nature then of what awaits us, the riches of God's glorious inheritance. And as we think of the concept of inheritance in Scripture, we find really two amazing truths that come together. The first is that the inheritance is something that God gives to his people, a place to dwell with him. But then secondly, and I I think even more amazingly, we find that God's inheritance is his people. They are his treasured possession. And there's debate here about which aspect of that Paul is speaking about here. But the point is that Paul wants us to grow in our knowledge of the inheritance that is ours now because of God's gracious call. Why is it that Paul wants us to reflect upon and greater know the glories of our inheritance? It may even sound materialistic to us as we think about inheritance language. I I want you to know how much stuff awaits you as a Christian might be how we frame it up in our minds. But think for a moment of what an inheritance signifies. It's an amazing privilege to receive an inheritance. More than being about stuff, an inheritance shows that the person loved you enough in this life to leave you something of value as a token of that love. But do you know what we're not able to pass on in an inheritance? It's our presence. As great as the inheritance is, how much do we long even more that the person would still be with us instead of just the things that they have left for us? The house, the money, the heirlooms, Many of us would say, I would so much rather have them with you than without you, and I would give all of those things to be with you again. But you see, an inheritance is the best that we can do, but not so with God. You see, the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will, he gives us an inheritance that's beyond our ability to fathom. He says, I will give you a place I will give you the world that you were made to experience. And it will be an inheritance that's in the saints, together with those whom we love in Christ Jesus. And I will be there with you, God and his people, together forever in this place. And Paul wants us to come to a greater knowledge of this inheritance that's ours because of the calling we've received and how it's been secured for us by Christ and how the Spirit himself guarantees our reception of it. 
to realize that our lives are beset by constant, and I would say increasing awareness, that this life is not our true home. We're constantly confronted with this in the loss of relationships. As friends move away, family spreads out, our, our jobs change and take us to new places, or even as death takes away the ones we love. But you see, the sweetness of our inheritance is that it is in the saints, with our brothers and sisters forever, and it provides comfort and hope amidst the losses of this life. And even though the Christian life now is marked by the indwelling presence of God himself by his spirit, we still feel the distance of being east of Eden, the times of wondering why God's presence isn't felt, the doubts that plague us, the distance we feel as we battle against the sin that wages war in our hearts. And yet thinking of our inheritance reminds us that God will one day dwell with us perfectly forever. And so praying to know the glories of our inheritance is not some materialistic wish, but a reorientation to the quintessential promise of Scripture, that we would come to know what it means that God will be our God and that we will be his people forever. So Paul prays that we may know the hope of God's call, the glories of God's inheritance, and finally, the greatness of God's power. He says this there in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Think for a moment about these words he uses to describe God's power. We have all kinds of ways of measuring powerful things. We have the Richter scale to measure earthquakes. We have megatons to measure nuclear blasts. But Paul says here we can't even measure the magnitude of God's power. But Paul's not merely praying that we would ponder the omnipotence of God or that we would assent to the fact that God is immeasurably powerful. But notice what he goes on to say. It's this immeasurable power toward us who believe. I want you to know how much power God is working toward you and in your life. And he goes on to explain how this power is made manifest in these glorious verses, verses 20 to 23, and for the sake of time, we're not even able to unpack them. But we can summarize them by saying we see the immeasurable power of God expressed in Christ's rule over all things for the sake of his church. As you think about the immeasurable power of God, do you think of it being on display in the church? Especially as you think about your local church and the problems and the struggles and the needs and the ordinary people that fill the pews. Part of what Paul is praying for is that we would come to see the immeasurable power of God in places where we will not normally perceive displays of God's power. That we would come to see God's might displayed as we grow in unity as the church, now brought together, both Jew and Gentile, being shaped into the very dwelling of God himself and filled with the very fullness of God. As the letter continues... We see that this power is on display in such weak and ordinary ways. 
The ascended Christ has poured out gifts, but what are those gifts or who are those gifts? They're normal people that he uses to build up his church, his body. God's power is at work in us as we put off the ways we used to live and walk, as we learn a new walk that's marked by light and love. And then as he goes on in chapters 5 and 6, it's as though Paul is saying, I want you to know the power of God that is on display in the ordinary daily grind of your homes and your relationships. I want you to come to know the miraculous power that is on display in that act of selfless service towards your spouse. Or when you respond kindly to your child instead of exasperating him. Or as your child learns to obey you in the Lord. I want you to see the power of God when you do your daily unnoticed tasks as for the Lord Jesus himself, knowing that he sees and rewards these things. I want you to realize that God's power is mightily at work when you treat those who are under your authority as you would be treated, knowing that you too are a slave of Jesus Christ. So often in life, we feel powerless. We can't change our circumstances. We often can't change the problems in our lives or in the lives we love or the problems that we even face within our churches. But Paul prays that we would come to see that our powerlessness is exactly where God's power is put on display. That in his weakness, Christ is shown forth as strong. That we would come to know and rely upon the immeasurable power of God toward us as we believe and as it's put on display in the weakness and the ordinariness of our churches. There will be many times in our lives when we don't really know what to pray. Maybe even this week, your mind is numb from writing papers and deadlines that await you. Perhaps there are situations in your family or in your church that as you think about them, you are at a loss for words. You don't know what even to pray about those things. But Paul reminds us that even when we don't know what to pray, we can always pray that God, by his Spirit, will help us know. And what he calls us to better know is what God has done and is now doing in us through the work of Christ Jesus by his Spirit. So let's go to him in prayer as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for all that you have done for us in Christ, and we confess how little we are often shaped by these glories. We pray that you, by your Spirit, would help us to better know these things so that Christ would be glorified in our lives and that we would grow in greater appreciation, love, joy, and obedience towards you for all that you have done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.